Do you ever get caught um, singing the words of a song without really thinking about them? <laughs> Nathan. Um, I was just looking at, at the, the last phrases that we sang of glory to God forever. Take my life and let it be all for you and for your glory. Take my life and let it be yours. Do you mean it? Do you even have any idea what it costs to live a life that's for God's glory? Do you mean it? We live in a world that's just commitment phobic. Do you realize that? I don't want to commit to a two-year phone plan. I don't want to commit to a, to a marriage. I don't want to commit to um, saving. I don't want to commit to Jack. And see, that's, that's kind of a messed up philosophy because you can't do anything in life without making commitments. You can't buy a car without making a commitment. You can't buy a house without making a commitment. There is nothing worthwhile in life that you can do without making a commitment. You can't even get a driver's license without making some type of commitment, right? Nothing happens in life. Nothing great ever happens without commitment. And the Bible says that nothing affects your life more than the commitments that you make. And, and the Bible says there, there are three profound effects on your life from the commitments that you make. Very first one on your listening guide. This is what, what uh, commitments, your commitments do. They demonstrate your values. First thing is, right off the bat, your commitments let everyone else know what you're committed to. Check out this video and find out what these people are committed to. Okay. Ah! 
said there, it's not that bad. That's important. <laughs> oh, that's not fair. Oh. It's, it's skin. Oh, wow. <laughs> Woo! He's got socks on. It is bad! Holy crap! You lie! You lie! He's lying! He's lying! Okay, you ready? Okay. Hey, Drew, how many times will this make that you've gotten in? This is the third time because James hit pause when it was already recording. Oops. Wait, so are you happy about that? I'm elated. Are you committed? <laughs> Do it. Do it to it. And that is the last commitment leap you're getting out of me! Three times. He jumps in, and just to show how tough he is, he jumps in again, and then we realized it was on pause. And um, James said it wasn't that bad, and he lied. He lied. Um, now, some people should be committed because of the things they're committed to, Right? Um, but it does demonstrate your values, and, and if you can figure out exactly what we were committed to there, I guess it's to make you laugh. That's, that's, the, that's the only thing I can figure. Um, but my commitments, your commitments show, demonstrate to everyone around what we really love. If you are single, newsflash for you. If someone tells you that they love you and they're not willing to commit to you, they don't love you. Some of you guys are ticked off at me right now. I don't care. Um, and, and I'm not saying that you should commit, but if you love someone, you will. Boys run from commitment. Men commit. Lots of whispering going on. Saying something is important to me is not the measure of how important it is. The way I commit my time and the way I commit my money demonstrate what I'm in love with. How many people do you know that say they love their families and they commit all of their time to their job? Or they commit all of their money to their own personal interests and never spend any time, never spend any money on their families. And you, you talk to kids. I was a youth minister for 19 years. Kids know whether you love them or not. And the way they know is because with them... Time equals love. T-I-M-E spells love. You can ask any kid here, what are your parents committed to? And you'll find out what you're committed to by the responses of your children. If I say my health is important to me, but I never commit any time to taking care of my health, then my health is not important to me. We have this epidemic of uncommitted people in America. And really what the, what the uncommitted life says is, Nothing in life is important to me except me. I'm committed only to me. And so you might as well just throw it out there that if you're uncommitted, that means that you're selfish. You're committed only to your own happiness because my commitments demonstrate for all to see what I love. Second thing is my commitments shape my life. This is why friends and, and the things that we're involved in, you got to be careful because 
uh, you will become what you are committed to. Your, your life is the sum total of all your commi- commitments. You tell me what you're committed to. Or you let me see your calendar and your checkbook. And I'll tell you what you're committed to. And I'll tell you what you're going to become. I'll tell you the outcome of your marriage. I'll tell you what your children will be like when they grow up. Because of your commitments today. They will shape your life. They will shape the lives of those coming up after you. Third, my commitments determine my destiny. Be real careful what you're committed to. Because it's going to determine where your life ends up. The very fact that we're here gathered to worship and that we can do worship in a different way. We can laugh and and we can dress comfortably and we can have loud music and we can have a good time and clap and cheer. And the reason we're free to worship is because a generation ago, our nation made some decisions about what they were going to be committed to. And committed to freedom is one of the things that they did 50 years ago, 200 years ago. Commitments shape nations and commitments shape your lives. And the commitments they, they made cost some people their lives. My dad, as, as he's 87 and, and he's one of the few remaining people from World War II that's still alive and dad tells us stories and I hear more and more about people he knew who died and he tells me stories about seeing people died, snipers picking people off in the, in the lunch lines and, and them having to run for cover and, and being in the foxhole and that's when he committed his life to Christ was when there was an air raid, the Japanese planes were coming over dropping bombs. Dad says when you're in a foxhole and you think you're going to die, you make a commitment to Jesus Christ. He said that, that's a no-brainer. And so we've, we've said this before, that the commitments that you make in this life will determine where you go after this life. It will determine not just your time on earth. It will determine your eternal destiny. And Jesus Christ is watching to see how you commit your time and your money and your talents on this planet. And that will determine whether you get to be in heaven with him. And it also determines the responsibilities that you're going to have because we're going to serve in heaven. And Jesus said, if you can be faithful with just a few things on earth, that proves to me that you can handle much greater things in the kingdom of heaven. Don't you dare tell me that commitments are not important. Jesus asked a question in Matthew 16, 26, and he says, what will a man give in exchange for his soul? That's a very significant question because every day of your life, you're exchanging your life for something. And in most cases, you're really exchanging your life for nothing. When you actually are killing time, you're you're committing suicide because your time is your life. You can make more money, but you can't make more time. Wise people know that they've got to exchange their lives by making wise commitments. Every choice that you make has a price tag on it. And really what you need to do is you need to evaluate the cost of that commitment based on the payoff of that commitment. I want you to think long-term today. And Jesus was the one that we say we are serving, the one that we say that we're following. Christian means little Christs. We claim to be followers of Christ. And I just want to know, if we were to hold court today, would there be enough evidence to convict you of being a Christian? Would your children say, oh yeah, they're committed to Christ? Would the people that you hang out with in the workplace and that you hang out with on the weekends, would you say they're committed? Would they say, man, get it right. Would they say you're committed to Christ? Would there be enough evidence to convict you of being a little Christ? It's all determined by your commitments.
And Jesus was very upfront about what it would cost to follow him. Luke 14, 26, he says, anyone who wants to be my follower must love me, lust, must love me far more than he does his own father, mother, wife, children, brothers, sisters. Yes, more than his own life. Otherwise, he cannot be my disciple. Holy cow. That's commitment. This verse has bothered me for years. It means my devotion and my commitment to Christ is supposed to be second to none. Second to my wife and my children and my family. There's not a dictator in the world that's ever been in in existence in the world who would ask for the kind of commitment that Jesus Christ asks for. Total devotion over anyone else. But here's the thing. Jesus Christ has a right to it. Because first of all, he created you. He has a plan and a purpose for this life that he gave you. And he died on a cross for you. There's no other being can make those three claims. That he created you, that he has a plan for you, and that he died on your behalf. No one can make that claim except Jesus. And that's why he said, if you want to be my follower, it cost me my life to purchase your life, and it's going to cost your life to become a child of God. That's pretty serious commitment. And what happens a lot of times, this is what I've seen in churches. Now, 26 years I've been uh, a minister of some kind in a church. And some people think their, their lives are like a, a pie, I got my work slice here. I got my recreational slice here. I've got my sex life slice here. And I've got all these different slices. And over here is my Jesus slice. And Jesus goes, no, 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 no. I don't want to be a slice of your life. Jesus said, I'm not even a part of your life. It's all or nothing if you're going to follow me. And here's the issue. Read this as I read it out loud. If Jesus Christ is not Lord of all in your life. He's, he's not what? Lord at all. Let that marinate for a little bit. What is it in your life that you think you control? What is it in your life that you refuse to give to the Lord? Because here's the deal. If there's something in my life that I say, no, no, God, you can't go there. You can't touch that. Then he says to me that I'm not Lord. Two words that cannot be in a Christian's vocabulary. No, Lord. It's not an option. C.S. Lewis said this. If Christianity is untrue, then it's unimportant. Think about it. If the Bible is not true, why bother any time reading it on a daily basis and why gather together here? If Jesus Christ is not God's son, if he didn't die on the cross, if he didn't rise again the third day, then we're wasting a lot of time. There's a lot of stuff I could be doing today. I could be watching all of the Super Bowl buildup right now because I've not had any overload over the last two weeks about Peyton Manning and Drew Brees. I hate two weeks in between because I'm a sports junkie and I just want to vomit by the time we get to the Super Bowl because it's overload. And millions of people are going to devote four hours to watching a meaningless game tonight. Now, I'm going to watch it. Don't, don't get me wrong. 
But my small group is fellowshipping. So there's an eternal purpose. We're going to waste four hours watching a stupid football game. Yes, I said it. But it, here's the other thing that C.S. Lewis said. And this is, this is the most important issue. If Christianity is true, this is the most important issue. Christianity, um, the only thing Christianity cannot be is moderately important. It's an all or nothing deal. You ever heard the phrase casual Christian? It's an oxymoron. There is no such thing in God's book, in the, in the, in the Bible, of casually dating the bride of Christ. Jesus said, if you're, a, if you're embarrassed about me on this planet, I'll be embarrassed about you when you stand before my father. But on the other hand, Jesus said, if you're devoted to me, you care. Then when you stand before my father, I say, this is one of ours. Commitment. <laughs> Casual Christians like saying I'm semi-pregnant or half dead. No. You're either alive or you're dead. You're either pregnant or you're not. There's no such thing as semi-pregnant. Jesus Christ is either Lord of all your life or he's not Lord at all in your life. Don't kid yourself. Okay, well, that's depressing. So how do we, how do we rebound from this? Well, I want to give you the most practical things I can today. Four practical ways that you can move Jesus Christ from wherever he is in your life to number one priority. Because he said that's what it takes. If you want him involved in your life, it's not a casual thing. When I proposed to Janie, I didn't say, let's kind of casually get married. No. Would you have gone for that, baby? No. It's all or nothing. 360 days of the year, I'll give to you, baby, but five days are mine. No, she would have rejected that. So how do I do it? Four practical ways. Number one, give God the first thoughts each day. The first thoughts of each day. If you've been around church any time, you, you hear this called a quiet time. All it means is some time devoted to Christ in the morning. Look at what Psalm 5.3 says. Each morning I will look to you in heaven and lay my request before you. Do you remember the old American Express commercial, the slogan that they used to have back in the day? And I know I always date myself when I say these things. American Express, don't leave home without it. What if... What if that was our slogan about our time with Christ? What if we lived by the mantra, the slogan, don't leave home without putting a little bit of effort and thought about this person I call my Lord, my boss, my leader, my forgiver of my sins. How would that affect your day? Do you think it might make a difference? I think so. <laughs> Do you think um, other people would notice? I've been reading through, you know, we have these back at the back. And by the way, we, we still have some uh, daily devotionals that go along with the, uh, the messages. And we have some, some uh, bookmarks that are how you read through the New Testament in 30 days. I can tell a difference in me when I'm reading my Bible 30 to 45 minutes a day. Do you think my wife can tell a difference? That was a big yes in case you couldn't see her. You think my children can see a difference? Yes. The purpose of reading the Bible is not to get you into the Bible. It's to get 
the Bible into you because that's how the Holy Spirit then begins to take the Word of God and transform you from a selfish little brat to someone who looks like Jesus Christ. Every night, Janie and I pray and and we ask God. We thank God for all the things that have happened that day. We just think through and if people have asked us to pray, we pray for them and and we almost always pray for the church and we almost always pray for our kids. We pray for the next day, the things that are going to happen the next day for wisdom and discernment and protection and all those things. But I don't want just the last thoughts of the day to be when I think about Christ. I want the first thoughts of my day to be on Christ. Because the Bible says if you like wisdom, none of y'all like wisdom, do you? There's never a decision you face that you need wisdom for, right? Book of James says, if you like wisdom, ask God who grants generously to all. And he doesn't even count your faults against you. If you humble yourself and ask him, he will grant you wisdom. It's real easy to be wise after you've done something stupid. Or see the wisdom. Wow, I should have done this. Why not get on the other side of that? Get wisdom on the front end. So my first thoughts need to be on God. Second thing is how to put God first is give God the first day of every week. Now, some of you have been around here for seven years. And this isn't just unique to new life. This is this is every church I've ever been in. At least 30 to 50 percent of our crowd from week to week is different. I realize some people work and I realize there's vacations and stuff like that. But do you realize how difficult it is to get the same crowd it, it, it never happens. Next Sunday, we will not have exactly the same crowd that we have this Sunday. Some of those things are legitimate. Some of those things are just whacked priorities. And so this is a very difficult thing to get people to realize that we're supposed to give God the first day of every week. Look what it says in Acts 27. On the first day of the week, we all met together. He's talking about believers. Now, we're doing the family devotional time, and, and one of the things we talked about this week was, why do we meet on the first day? Why do we meet on Sundays? Because if you read the Old Testament, you see, remember the Sabbath. That's in the Ten Commandments. Jesus created the, the, the world and all of the heavens in six days, and it says on the seventh day, God rested. And, and so we're supposed to honor the Sabbath day. We're supposed to have a, a day of rest every week, a day of rest and worship. And then you get to the New Testament, and all of a sudden you start following through uh, the, the disciples, and you get to the book of Acts. You know, first four, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that's all about Jesus and everything. And then you get to the book of, the, uh, book of Acts, and it's actually the Acts of the Holy Spirit as the first church is created. And, and all of a sudden, they go from meeting on Saturdays to meeting on Sundays. Why? Well, we had this discussion in, in our family. Good Friday is when Jesus Christ died on the cross. And, and what happened on Sunday? He rose again. By the way, had he not rose again, had he not risen, Friday wouldn't have been so good. So when he rose, it says, we met on the first day of the week to celebrate the resurrection of our Savior. And, and if you read through, and this is some stuff that, that we'll be going through in the, in the weeks ahead, the Bible says that Jesus' resurrection from the dead is something called first fruits. When you give the first fruit, it's a representation of all the fruit that's going to come after that. In the Old Testament, when you got your harvest, you were supposed to take the best of the first fruits and offer that to God. In the New Testament, Jesus Christ being raised from the dead, never to die again. He's the first fruits of all that are going to come after him. 
And so when you become a follower of his, that means you're going to be like him someday in that resurrection body in a place called heaven. And so the first reason that we worship on Sundays, the first day of the week, is because we are celebrating Jesus Christ's resurrection from the dead. The second reason we worship on Sunday is because it's the first day of the week and we want to give God the first fruits as we celebrate the first fruits of the one who came back from the dead. Second, or third, number three, how to put God first. Give God the first 10% of every paycheck. First 10% of every paycheck. Now, let's, let's just very practically look at this. I got 10 oranges here. Let's say that these 10 oranges represent my income. So what am I going to do with my income? You have any bills that you got to pay? What's one of the biggest bills you pay every month? House payment. All right, I got a house payment. Let's say that three of these go to pay my house. Now, some of you have something else that you pay every month that's almost as big as a house payment. Car payment. I don't have one of those. Thank you, Jesus. Of course, I barely have a car, but, but that's beside the point. That's a Dave Ramsey special right there. So let's take a couple of those and let's pay our car payment. What other kind of bills you got? Electricity. Wow, ours at the church doubled this last month because of all of the... It's because of the cold snap. That's what TXU says. So let's pay a couple of those. What else you got? Food. My family. What else you got? Dish Network. Dish Network is... Little shout out. All right, we're, we're getting down to some problems here. All right, so let's say Dish Network, we got about that much. All right, there's, there's Dish Network. Cell phone, shout out. We got some of those people here too. We got a bunch of cell phone workers. What else? Come on, come on, help me out. Water bill. I really got to remember those. Otherwise, I'm going to have issues next Sunday morning. My wife's haircut, that's a bigger slice. Anything else? Credit cards. Not if you've gone through Financial Peace University. Credit card payments. Anything else? Kids, insurance, diapers. Now, if you're the typical person, you come to the place of worship. And, and we say that, that you're supposed to give. Go, God. How much worth to me, God? Realize that, that the reason so many Americans are in financial trouble is because that's the way they handle finances. And did you know that God gives us very clear instructions? See, we, we think that our money comes in and we're supposed to spend it, save it, pay debt, pay taxes, and give it. God says, turn it upside down. God says, and I'll show you a number of scriptures. Just read Malachi chapter 3. God says, you're robbing me if you don't give 10%. I mean, I, I'm not... The least popular series I preach every year is a money series. So I'm not doing this for me. 
God says it's 10%. That's the starting point for commitment. And, and let's just look at, let's go to God's word and get some very clear instructions. Proverbs 3, 9 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first and best part of all your income. What's that called? First fruits. God says, if you want to demonstrate commitment, because your, your commitments demonstrate what you love. God says, you want to demonstrate that I'm first? 10% off the top. And by the way, several of you said you're interested in Financial Peace University. I'm just going to warn you up front. Dave Ramsey, who was a millionaire, lost it all. Rebuilt it God's way. He'll tell you. First thing you do is you mark down 10% off the top. And he'll, he'll walk you through. In uh, five months, we'll be totally debt-free except for our house. And within five years, by the time I'm 50, our house is going to be paid off. We'll have zero debt. Dave's kind of slogan is, what could the people of God do for the kingdom of God if they were debt-free? I'm going to find out. I want our church to find out. If you were debt-free, what could you be doing for the kingdom of God? And just this just thought just hit me, so time out for just a second. God's been really kind of working on me. Uh, when we take this special offering on February 28th, we're going to give a percentage of that to Haiti. Um, but God's kind of been working on me. Maybe I'm thinking maybe we're supposed to go take a group to Haiti. Um, I don't know. I, I'm, if you're interested in that, write that on the back of your card because I'm thinking we need at least a group of five um, to go and to work. And, and anyway, I'm... I'm praying through that because I don't know if we're called to go or not. And kind of your response is going to tell me whether we're to go or not. Um, we're not going to take teenagers. We're not going to take children because it's, it's an unstable political situation. Uh, but I just feel like God's calling me to lead a group. So anyway, time back in. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first and best part of all your income. We call that tithing and it's 10%. That's all it means. Taught in the Old Testament, it's taught in the New Testament. And, and one of the reasons, or one of the ways we show God's first place is giving Him the first 10%. Not after I've paid the bills, because here's what happens. Every time I say I'm going to give to God whatever's left over, how much is left over? Jack. Right? Save for anything that way and see how long it takes you to get there. If you save, if your savings is, is what's left over, you'll never have anything left over. I don't care what you say is important. Look at how you spend your time and how you spend your money, and that will demonstrate to all what you really believe. So don't give me some line about what's important, that God's important. If he's important in your life, he's going to be first in your time, and he's going to be first in your checkbook. Deuteronomy 14.23, the purpose of tithing is to teach you to always put God first in your lives. When I tithe, it's a reminder Every time we write out a check and we give that to God, we're saying to God, you're first. You're first in my life. That's the purpose of tithing. 1 Corinthians 16, 2 says, On the first day of each week, you should put aside a portion of the money you have earned. The portion is 10%. Why not the second day or the Thursday or Friday? Why don't we do it then? Because the first day of the week is when I'm supposed to worship. And tithing is an act of worship. Tithing is not giving to charity. And charity giving to charity is not tithing. We ought to give to charity. When we give to World Vision, that's not tithing. That's over and above what we're doing. That's giving to charity. Tithing is when I give to the Lord as an act of worship in the house of worship. Wherever you get fed spiritually is where you're supposed to give 10% of your income. 
Again, that comes from Malachi chapter 3. It's very, very clear. You ought to give beyond your tithe. Tithing goes to the house of worship. It's an act of worship, and it's undesignated. Man, I've, I've seen it all in 26 years. When you designate your funds to go to certain place, you don't, it's not worship anymore. It's an offering, but it's not worship. Tithing says, God, I'm giving to you because you're first place in my life. Number four, give God the first consideration in every decision. Proverbs 3, 6 says, remember the Lord in all you do and he will give you success. Does anybody here want to be successful? Wherever you want to be successful, you put God first. If you want to be successful in your marriage, put God first in your marriage. If you want to be successful in your business, put God first in your business. If you want to be successful in your finances, you put God first in your finances. It's real simple. It's so simple that it makes you wonder why so many Christians are struggling. Let me just tell you very quickly as we finish up today. There are two things that will kill your commitments. Number one is distractions. When I coached Caleb's four- and five-year-old soccer team, um, we had... It's not soccer. It's just a group exercise when they're that age. Because there's three people from each team on the field, and there's no goalie. And we called it the amoeba attack, because wherever the ball goes, all six children are right there. And it's, it's fun to watch, and it's silly, and, and all that stuff, but it's not soccer, all right? We had this one boy, though... That uh, he would start chasing the ball. We'd put him in. He'd start chasing the ball. And he'd see a shadow. I'm not kidding. The ball's going this way. And he'd stop. And he'd start doing karate. And he'd wave at himself. And we're going, dude. And I'm not going to call his name to protect the innocent. Dude, over here. He's just ha- he's flapping his wings. We're like, go after the ball. I'm not kidding. A butterfly. He's running after the ball. Butterfly. It was cute and it was funny. And he was totally useless as a soccer player. Some of you uh, might be here next year. God, you're going to become totally useless. Nothing more important than what we're doing. Baptize someone. It represents another life that's committed to God. Five years from now, some of you are not going to be following Christ because you're going to be distracted. And the Bible says it real clearly. Jesus was talking. Mark 4.19, he says, The attractions of this world and the delights of wealth and the search for success and the lure of nice things come in and crowd out God's message for their lives. Is there anything evil on that list? The attractions of this world, that's not evil. The delights of wealth, anybody? Is that evil? Search for success. Nice things. Are nice things evil? No. Problem is when they're first. When you're committed to wealth and success and nice things, so much that you bow your life to them instead of to Christ. The Bible says that's an idol. Ten commandments. 
You shall have no other gods, no idols. Anything in first place other than God is an idol. And some of you are going to chase your shadows and you're going to chase other things and you're going to be defeated in the kingdom of God. There's a second thing that will kill your commitment. It's complacency. What happens when we become complacent is we start living off the past. Well, in 1921, I told God I loved him. I know an idiot who I've heard him say it many times. I told you when I married you that I loved you. And if that ever changed, I'll tell you that. That's the dumbest man on the face of the planet. Because what he's saying is, your needs are not important enough for me to even begin to try to give you the security of my love. Don't tell me that's a man who loves his wife like Christ loves the church. Your commitments will define you. And, and I just want to know, have you made any commitments since you came to Christ? When you go through 101, one of the things we ask you to do is sign a commitment card. Everybody who joins our church has to sign a commitment card. And it's, number one, we want to know that you know Christ. Because by definition, you can't be a member of His family if you've not ever been adopted into His family. So you've got to follow Christ. We talk about baptism. We talk about Lord's Supper. And then we, we say... Do you feel like God is calling you here to be a part of this church? And if so, sign on the dotted line. And when you do that, you're saying, because we go over this in the class, you're saying, I will, I will commit my life to Jesus Christ and to New Life Community Church. I'll commit to attend. I'll commit to, to invite my friends. I'll commit to giving. I'll commit to listening to the teaching. And, and if it's God-filled, God's Word teaching, then I'll follow that teaching. I will not gossip about my church. I will do everything to help build up the body of Christ instead of, Defeat the body of Christ. People sign on the dotted line. And, and some people within six months are no longer here. Some people it takes a year or two and they're no longer here. And, and my question is, was that commitment real? <laughs> when, when we have our commitment Sunday in a few weeks, you're, you're going to get this packet and there's going to be a red card in there, building a great life commitment. And it says, I, I, we want to be a part of building the new NLCC multipurpose building out here. We've got to pay off debt first and, and explains everything in here. Our first goal on that day is to get at least $45,000 to pay off the debt of the new land we bought over here. Our second goal is to come up with $235,000 over a three-year uh, three period, 36 months, to pay off the debt on this land. Our third goal is that we will have 500000 total, $500,000 total, because in February or March of 2013, we want to start building our new multipurpose building out here. And in order to do that, the total amount we need to have over a three-year span is $500,000. And so we're asking people to give a cash gift, and it's on here, cash gift, and you're going to bring that on the 28th. And then it says... Here's my commitment to give over the next three years. And some of you are going, man, I just don't believe in 36-month commitments. You do if you want a car. You'll commit if it benefits you. I'm asking you to commit to something that lasts beyond this lifetime. 
Several weeks of you, several weeks ago, most of you wrote, I'm in. When I said, man, I want to build a church that reaches people far from God. I want to do this. And, and 90% of you said, I'm in, I'm in. It'll be interesting to see if that many people are really in when it comes to put your money where your mouth is. Wayne, go ahead and hand out those packets, would you? You may get somebody to help. I'd like for you to take one of these per family. And I want you to, uh, to spend some time going through it. And if, I'm, if this is from me, then you just blow it off. But, but if God moves in your heart and your spirit, be obedient to God. Don't miss out on a blessing. You cannot outgive God. And we've got to hurry up and get to Commitment Sunday because the longer this goes, the higher the amount that I feel like God's calling us. We need Commitment Sunday to hurry up and get here because it's, it's getting to the point that I'm looking at it going, dude, God, the only way that's going to happen is if you provide. Give yourself some time and you pray and you ask God. And if God shows you, you be obedient to God. We've got to finish up. Have registration cards. Fill those out. On the back... What is it that you need to respond to today? Do you need to give God the first thoughts of every day? Do you need to give God the first day of every week? Do you need to give God the first 10% of your paycheck? Or do you need to give God the first consideration in your decisions? Four simple things. What is it? Some of you will write all four because you do that every time. You're consistent. All of them. I need them all. What is it that God's calling you to do? We have two baskets at the back. One is our registration card basket. If you're a guest... Fill that out. We'll have a record of your visit. The rest of you can, can write down what God's showing you. If you have prayer concerns, put that on there. Put those in the basket. The other basket is our joy basket. God loves a cheerful giver. And we're expecting members and regular attenders to give. If you're a guest, we never ask for a dime of your money. We believe this is something that God's people do to give you a gift so that you can hear about this life-changing message of Jesus Christ. Let's pray together and be dismissed. Father, take your word, plant it in our hearts, and bring about a harvest. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You're dismissed.